Welcome to the Woodshop Live podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Sean Walker of Simple Cove, and I'm joined today by Hui Huen, the Alabama woodworker. Hey, Sean. How's it going? Going well. Good. And Guy Dunlap of Guy's Woodshop. <laughs> hey, Sean. Hey, how's it going? Okay. Good. <laughs> This podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and to give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. If you'd like to support the show, we're simply asking for a small donation to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. And we want to welcome the new patron, Ken Woolley. We appreciate that, Ken. Please go to patreon.com forward slash woodshoplife if you would like to show your support. Stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our own shops. But with that, let's get right into it. Hui, what is your first question? Okay, so this question is, I don't have a name for him. Darn it. Anyway, he says, hey, guys, great show. I have been having problems with raising and lowering the height of my table saw blade. I have a Grizzly G0, excuse me, Grizzly 1023RLW. It is new from Grizzly, and, and I've had it for about six months. My question is, what do you guys use as a lubricant for the moving parts? I cleaned everything good and used grease, like packing bearing grease. It works great for about a week and then gets all packed with sawdust. Is there a better way? Thanks for the show. It has been a real help. Keep it up. And it's actually from Mark. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, sorry about that. Sometimes I, I forget to do that part. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no big deal, man. Uh, so I th- we've talked about you know, maintenance on table saws, but, uh, we hadn't talked specifically about what kind of lubricants we use to maintain our, our table saws. I, I do the same thing that you do, Mark. I've lubricated it one time when I first got the table saw that my old table saw, I used to have a grizzly and I can't remember what the call number was, but it was very similar to the one zero two three RLW. The reason why I lubricated that one time was because it was a brand new saw and it had never, it just had, just like you had a whole bunch of sawdust gunked up in the, in the gears and the worm drive. And I cleaned that all off and I used the, um, very similar to what you were talking about, the packing grease. And I just followed what the manual said and just used that grease that they recommended. There's a specific call number. I can't remember, uh, NLGI number two which is just a heavy duty, uh, extra heavy duty grease that you can buy even at uh, like you can get it at Lowe's or Home Depot. You can get it at um, O'Reilly's or Advanced Auto Parts. Is there like a brand name or something for it? So the one you can't I don't I think if you went up there and asked one of the guys at Lowe's where the NGL 125 yeah. S3 is, he's not going to know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, Lucas. It's Lucas Extra Heavy Duty Grease. That's what I use to line the uh, worm gear, worm drive, trunnions, all that stuff. Um, And it's really kind of funny because if you look at the manual, I I actually still have a copy of the manual that I had. And it says the amount one to two dabs. (laughs) 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 It's like, I don't know what that is. So, I mean, if you're getting it gunked up. You probably have too much on there. Yeah, I think you might have a little bit too much um, because it really shouldn't it it shouldn't be caked on. Yeah, you just don't really have to cake it on as much as you as much as you might think. You know, whatever you think one or two dabs is um, (laughs) beats me, but it it really doesn't require a lot. 
Uh, I would not use any sort of dry lube or anything like that. Um, again, that's what the manual says, so I kept with what the manual says. But uh, I only greased it once when I first got it, and I cleaned everything off, and I've never greased it again. So I'm sort of wondering what issue you might be coming into if it's every how often? So are you thinking oh, that he's putting he's putting too much grease on there, and that the sawdust is sticking to it? Yeah, po- very possibly. <clears throat> okay, but yeah, every week. Whew. Now, didn't you, Sean? You had issues with your table saw at one your older table saw, didn't you? Oh yeah, it was um, the Craftsman two two one two four. I don't know why I still remember that model number. <laughs> um, man, and there's nothing more irritating than you never that. forget. You never forget your first love, Sean. No, you, well, it was my second. The first one was a skill oh. $69 Black Friday deal, but I don't forget that either. Um, <laughs> it's really annoying when when you're trying to raise and lower the blade, and it's just like you got to put two hands on there and turn because it's so stiff. Turns, I tried everything, and it turns out that the one of the rods, the threaded rods in there was bent. So no matter what I did, it wasn't going to fix that problem. So I, I got rid of the saw and... Mm. Um, yeah, and bought a saw stop. I'm not had the issue with my current saw, so I don't have much uh much help other than perhaps you might be putting too much grease and it's just caking on there. Because I'm not sure what, if it's not that and it's just sawdust. I mean, you may need to check that you have enough CFM at the table saw. Other than that, I'm not even, I'm not sure what you would do. Yeah, all I can say is again that if you got that much buildup of sawdust in the grease, you got too much grease on there. The yeah. grease should just be added as a lubricant. It's not like you're packing bearings where you're having right. this stuff just ooze out everywhere. It's just a small amount on there just to keep it from, you know, sticking together and rusting and so forth. I think in the, let's see, today is Monday. In the, 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 the 35 years I've owned a table saw, I think I've greased the trunnions one time. Mm-hmm on any of my saws and that's been three up until this point including my current one and the last time i did it was i actually i actually i think the only time i've ever done it was on my powermatic when i came in i cleaned it up quite a bit because it had it was just dripping in cosmoline which is the stuff they they use to pack the saw in yeah and I, I cleaned all the 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 trunnions and stuff because it was just like i said just dripping off there so I use some white lithium grease in a spray mm. can that I have in the house. And I just sprayed a little on there and it's been fine. Yeah. Now, that's all I can think of is you just got too much on there. Yeah. And that, that grease, that bearing grease, that's very sticky stuff. Yeah. It's very thick. Um, sticky. Yeah. It's very thick and it, it lasts forever in a day. So when they're talking about a dab, that's just like the size of a, you know, a, a pea. Kernel, kernel of corn or a pea yeah yeah and you're just putting it on there and you're just put one thing in there spin the gears a couple times to to distribute it and you should be good to go for 20 years yeah yeah you got some peanut butter going on man it's sticking (laughs) got everything sticking to it it's like chunky peanut butter (laughs) well mark i I think i i was going to use peanut butter once on the inside of the oh but uh you should i thought better of it yeah you should, or you can try almond butter. <laughs> Nutella. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I can't stand that stuff. I don't think I've ever had it. Well, 
Right. Well, Mark, I hope that helps you. Um, I am going to push it off to Guy. All right. Well, this question comes from Brian, and he says, or he asks, and he says, my <laughs> shop is being constructed, and I'm about to face the electrical decisions. One decision I'm stuck on I could use some other input on is about the tools in the middle of the shop. I don't like cords running across the floor to trip out, so I've considered putting some outlets in the ceiling and having the cords come down with the dust collection run. Only 240 and 120 for the center tools. Does this sound like a good idea? Should I try to get something in floor instead? This would add cost, but then I think I would need to consider adding dust collection pipe as well to free up my headspace. My ceilings will be vaulted, so that brings another complication. Just looking for your thoughts from seasoned woodworkers, Brian. Brian, you, you are asking a question that everybody asks when they, whenever they build a shop. Everybody asks themselves when they're building a shop. I'm sure, Hui, you're going through some of these same things yourself. If, for, if it were up to me, and we touched on this not too long ago, I'd put the whole shop floor up on, on two by sixes. Mm-hmm. and put plywood over it and then I could run all my electrical and dust work and duct work underneath. And if I wanted to change it, I could. But if I couldn't, let's say I, I've, I'm, I've decided on a cement floor with epoxy like like we did or whatever you ended up putting on your floor. What was that stuff called? Urea something? It's, it's epoxy and then the top coat is a polyurethane top coat. Okay. Having the cords coming down from the ceiling with the dust collection is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. It really isn't. Just as long as you don't have them running across the floor. Yeah. I mean, in, in the, 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 the big commercial shop I work in, everything comes down from the ceiling. They have three phase coming down from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. It's all coming down from the ceiling. <laughs> There's a lot of crap there. And we have 120 at not the tools, but at all the benches, but they're all on those um, retractable cords. So, you know, if you don't want it in your way, you can just disconnect whatever you've got and then it goes up into the ceiling and it hangs maybe about seven feet off the floor and you can always grab it if you need it again. But it, it, it sounds like you're in that, that, that situation where you can't really run it through the floor without being a permanent piping in the floor. Yeah. In which case, you know, determine where the center, where you, because most, most shops have an island where they'll have like a, a table saw and a joiner or a table saw and the plane are right there next to each other and put a couple 240s there and uh, a 120 just to boot, just in case. But yeah, I mean, having it come down from the ceiling with your dust collection is not that big of a deal, as long as it's not on the floor. Yeah. What, what do you think, Sean? I actually have mine come down from the ceiling in the center. I've got a joiner planer combo, the drum sander, and my bandsaw in the center. And I actually I follow the duct work across the wall, up the wall, across the ceiling, and down. So I just have it attached to that. Um, I have the two 240s and the one 120 uh, that I drop down with the, the duct work to that center island just because I didn't want it across the floor. And... You know, even though you say your ceilings are vaulted, I mean, you're going to have to do something for your your dust collection. If you're worried about the cabling, you're definitely going to be worried about, you know, dust collection going across the floor. So it sounds like, you know, just piggyback off of that if you have to. I don't know. You don't necessarily have to have, you know, the the power in the ceiling. I mean, you could do what I did and just, you know, build longer cables 
and run that from, you know, from the wall up and over and down. That's what I did. Um, that's another option. So you don't have to have all of that in the ceiling, but yeah, it works great for me. I'd need another 120 uh, just for my Festool CT in the center there, but yeah, it works great. Keeps it off the floor. It's handy and I have no complaints. What about you, Hui? In the new shop, I'm doing the exact same thing. In my old shop, everything, even the ducting ran along the far wall. So I had all of my outlets on the far wall. In this case, because I'm having a tool island of the table saw, which is also the router table, uh, bandsaw, and the joiner planer, it's all coming down with the ducting in, along alongside of the manifold, that the, the ducting manifold. So I've just got a little box, I guess you call it a spider box, whatever you want to call it. And in the ceiling, I've got a twist lock plug, a 240 volt, 30 amp twist lock plug that's in the ceiling. And so then it comes down and splits off to those machines in the spider box. I think it's fine. I designed it that way. So obviously I think it's fine. But yeah, I I, I think I would do the same thing in your case. And yeah, with the vaulted ceilings, it might be a little bit difficult, but that just means you have to run a little bit more line. And you can get that, um, what is it, uh, waterproof, uh, oil-resistant whip line from Lowe's or Home Depot, and they can cut it down to size for you. And um, that's what I used for, for my SO cable. Yes, yes. That stuff is awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I would do the same thing that, you know, that you're just talking about. Taking it from the ceiling, running along the ducting, I think it'll be fine. Yeah, I think the, the, the thing with vaulted ceilings, it's, it sound, doesn't sound like there's like any kinds of beams going across. So right. a, a lot of that stuff is going to have to be hung uh, from the ceiling. So, right. you know, I, I I get where you're coming from, Brian. kind of like defeats the purpose of having a vaulted ceiling <laughs> when you've got all this stuff, this piping going across it. Yeah, it's, it's a good question, and it's something I think we all have, have struggled with in the past or have, have given thought to, um, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. You, have, you just have to do it what, whichever way makes the most sense for you and what your workflow is. Mm-hmm. That's all I can really add to for that. So that would bring the questions back over to Sean. That's right. All right, so this question is from uh, Juan from Boston. Hey, guys, I became a Patreon supporter a couple months ago, and I really love the format of the podcast. I'm a beginner woodworker who is in the process of acquiring more tools. I would like to start to resell my own lumber from Roughson. I was hoping to get your advice on what is the best bandsaw you all could recommend. If money was no object, what would you recommend? Again, my main objective is to resell lumber, and the number one challenge I'm facing in picking a machine is they are not on display at any of the usual stores, Woodcraft or Rockler. I appreciate your response in advance. Well, I took this question because we all have different perspectives on on this uh, this question. We all have three different bandsaws. We've all used different bandsaws, so I think that we could discuss what we currently have and uh, and and kind of steer you in that right direction. So I I have the Hammer N forty four hundred. And, and full disclosure, they did give me the bandsaw in exchange for some video work. They did not, you know, buy my review or buy my opinion. They just exchanged it for some video work. So I'm just going to preface the conversation with that. My opinions are my opinions. Um, and I wanted to work with them on the hammer 
because it's a, it's a really, really well-made tool. It's a lifetime tool. Uh, it's nearly 400 pounds, 12 and a quarter resaw capacity, uh, 3.3 horsepower motor, a big cast iron table, uh, foot brake. And again, it's just, it's a lifetime tool for me. And it, a couple of the other things that, that led me to, to the hammer N4400, uh, was the accessories. They've got kind of like their own little ecosystem, like Festool does. They've got extension tables with various lengths that are extremely nice. Uh, they're real beefy, they're, they're well-made and they work with, uh, a lot of their tools that have the, um, the extension table capabilities. I believe they're the same ones that work with their joiner planer combos, but they're, they're really nice and they're, they're, you know, competitively priced. The mobility kit is very minimal, which makes it easy to move without needing a big mobile base. They've got a circle cutting jig that it fits the extension tables. Um, one of the really cool features that I've not used yet is they have the, a removable head that you can put on there to turn it into a belt sanding jig. So it turns the, the bandsaw into a big belt sander, which is really awesome. They do have an aftermarket miter gauge, but the only downside to, to the saw that I can think of living in America is the miter slot is um, not a traditional size that you would get over here. It's uh, I forgot what it, it's metric. I forgot what it is. Um, so I'm going to have to come up with something for that. Is it but, smaller or larger than the three quarter inch? Um, I want to say it's smaller, but again, I just know that it was metric. It didn't fit. So I've not researched it any more than that. I don't, there's not a whole lot of options, I guess. Uh, you can make your own. Um, uh, but you know, the, the saw is really well made. It's got plenty of power. It's, it's accurate. It's easy to adjust if it's not, if you need to dial it in. Um, and I can just say from my perspective, the N4400 is, is probably the saw. If I had to choose any saw, this would, this would be the saw that I would go with anything larger, anything smaller. I think this is the perfect size saw for what I do and what I would ever do. Um, the resaw capacity is there for what I need. And it's just, it's a beefy saw that's really well made. One thing that I noticed when putting it together, everything is just really well made. Everything goes together well. Uh, the guides, it does have the ceramic guides on it. Um, they're different. I'm not, you know, I'm not really excited about them. They're, I think they're similar to the ones that are on the Laguna. Uh, they're, they're bigger bandsaw, the Italian saw or whatever it is. I mean, they work great. It's just, they, they take a little bit longer to get dialed in when you're, you know, changing your blade or doing something like that. But, you know, I came from a 14 inch porter cable that I was able to do some resawing with an aftermarket resaw, um, whatever, what is that thing called? The, uh, the jig, no, the jig to make the, to change the resaw capacity. What's that word? Come on. Uh, Oh, the, the, the riser block. Yes. Mm, Yeah. The riser block. Yeah. Going from the (laughs) porter cable to the hammer, it, I I can't even, there's not words to describe the difference in quality, accuracy, um, just the level of happiness with a, a quality bandsaw. And, you know, again, I'm not saying this because I was given the saw in exchange for video work. That's, these are my honest opinions on the saw and having a foot break, I'll tell you, is really awesome too. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to give my perspective on the hammer in 4,400 and why I think that that would be the best saw that I would buy. If I were to buy another saw, if I were to start over, I would go directly to this saw just because of the build quality, the power, and the 
the ecosystem of all the adapters that you can get for it. Um, but I want to pass it off to, uh, to Guy, who is going to have a different bandsaw that he, he would like to talk about. Well, I don't know if I want to talk about a specific bandsaw. The only thing I can really tell you, Juan, if you're going to be doing resawing, stay away from the the 14-inch the cast iron bandsaws. Go with the, the, the European-style saws that are have a, a solid steel spine instead of the two-piece iron spines, cast iron spines, like Sean was talking about on the, the, the Porter cable he had. I had a jet that was, you know, the, the 14 inch, you know, everybody makes one. They don't do a real good job with resawing. Maybe if you're resawing under six inches, they'll do okay. But anything more than that, it, they just, they just don't work real well. That's been my experience anyways. What I recommend to you is get uh, something that has, like I said, the, the steel spine, which is European style, which is like Sean's, which is like the the hammer. Um, Grizzly makes them. Yep. Jet makes them. Powermatic makes them. Yeah, hammer makes them. There's a, a bunch of different people that make them. I think what you really have to determine is how big of a bandsaw you want. Mm-hmm. In other words, you need something with a... Uh, throat that's 17 inches, 19 inches, 24 inches. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to determine that. And then you have to determine how much resaw capacity you want. Because there's some saws that, you know, like a good example is like the Laguna 14 inches. The 14 inch saws, they've got a very, you know, 14 inch wheel. So the throat's only so big, which is the distance between the spine and the blade. Or, and, and but it's got a very small, uh, throat there but it also has like a 20 inch resaw it's something crazy mm-hmm. uh, resaw capacity um but then again you can go to a larger saw that only has a 12 inch resaw capacity so that's right. something you need to look at for me uh before i had the power matic which like sean i was I received that 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 saw in exchange for promotion from Powermatic. Before that, I had a Grizzly saw. I had a Grizzly 17 inch, and it was their it was their extreme line, which I really don't know what the hell that means. But it had the 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 table had cast iron trunnions underneath, mm-hmm. with an actual knob that you turned. To, mm-hmm. to change the angle on the table, which was a which is a big deal. So in other yeah. words, you don't have this aluminum, this cast aluminum trunnion underneath there with two knobs on either side, and you hope you get it about right, right. Um, like you do on some saws. And it had a really good fence. I really liked that saw. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, it was it was I think like fifteen hundred dollars when I bought it when I, mm-hmm. when I first got it, and it did. Freaking great job. I think it had a 12 inch resaw capacity, which is more than I ever use. And it did everything I needed it to. Uh, when you start going to the more expensive saws, like a like a hammer like Sean has, or the power like powermatic like I have, you're really getting into something, you know, it's it's a better build quality. Um right. just overall, it's a better build quality and it's gonna last longer. 
uh, I think. But, you know, it, it, at work, we just, you know, I was asked to, to pick out a bandsaw. Mm-hmm. And basically, they gave me a, I wouldn't say a blank check. They gave me a, a budget to go into. But I, I, I chose a Grizzly. We got a 24-inch Grizzly. It's got a crappy fence, but it has really nice adjustments for the table. It's got a seven and a half horsepower, three-phase motor. Nice. I think it's a 16-inch resaw capacity. The thing's, a, the thing's a monster. It weighs 1,000 pounds. It's mm-hmm. just a beast, and it's going to do everything we need it to. But you don't have to go down that road. Thirty-five. That, that saw was $3,500. For thirty five hundred dollars, you can buy a really nice high end, you know, seventeen, nineteen inch, eighteen inch saw that'll do everything you need it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess what I, my bottom line is what I'm trying to say is figure out really what you want to do with the saw, figure out what your budget is, and there's saws to fit all those budgets. But I'd really look at, you know, your budget more than anything else. What do you think, we? No, right on on all those points. I I had the same. Well, I didn't have the exact same uh, bandsaw as you, but I had. It's the G zero five one three line, and there are different accessories that you. And I got the. I don't know if it was the extreme series, but I mine did not come with a foot brake. Okay. Um, and you're exactly right, guy. That the big difference between like let's say the Grizzly versus your Paramatic, and I believe your Paramatic is a eighteen inch. Is that correct? 15. 15. Okay. What's the resaw capacity on it? Uh, 14 inches. Okay. So it's so, got good resaw capacity, but yeah. it doesn't have a real deep throat on it. Yeah. So that's the funny thing is, is like, okay. So for instance, the Grizzly G0513, that's a 17 inch bandsaw, but the resaw capacity on that is only 12 inches. Yeah. Whereas for you, resaw capacity is, you said 14, right? Yeah, but I'll never use it. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I've never used the 12 inches on my Grizzly either, but it, it's a great saw, and really the main difference that you're going to see in that is the build quality in certain areas. Now, the G0513 actually has this cast of uh, the cast iron trunnions, and the trunnion is a rack and pinion adjustment, which is really nice. Here, the big difference between the Powermatic and the Grizzly is you look at the handles, and the handles on the Grizzly are a fiberglass impregnated uh, plastic. Yeah, right? plastic. Or, right. <laughs> Just right. like plastic. They're plastic. <laughs> Where, <laughs> Gosh. Whereas, whereas opposed to the Powermatic handles are all like heavy duty cast iron. Yeah, they're 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 chrome finished cast iron. You know, right. that, and that's that's the difference in the build quality I was talking right. about. Yeah, it's really really nice. But, you know, is the Grizzly going to get the job done? Absolutely. Do they have, does it have the creature comforts of having chrome wheels and heavy duty doors and as the Paramatic? No. But I will say, I am very jealous of your Paramatic bandsaw guy. And if I, if I could have any bandsaw, it would probably be a Paramatic because, yeah, the Paramatic bandsaws are sexy, so. Uh, I think that's about all I can add to the discussion. So uh, versus what has already been said. So, all right. Hope that helps passing it off to Hui. So my second question is from Derek. Good day, Sean, Hui and Guy. Thank you for the podcast. This is an excellent resource. I prefer the 
French pronunciation of guy. So in my world, hui and gi rhyme, which greatly increases my enjoyment of the podcast. I recently got a 20-inch bandsaw for free. Well, that's pretty awesome, Derek. Uh, it has a three-phase motor right now. Is there a compelling reason to purchase a phase converter as opposed to a new motor? They're in the same ballpark in terms of price, the motor being a bit more expensive. It may be more difficult to find the motor with the proper mounting brackets and etc. But I would guess I can find it. Is there a performance-based reason to select one over the other? And he goes on to say that, uh, you know, rocket science and electrical engineering are pretty similar, right, Hui? I, I, don't, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> there are some similarities, but uh, but Yeah, they're not, both not, geeky. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you for any insight you may have. So I don't know that much about three-phase power, but I do know that a lot of industrial grade saws and tools are going to be running three-phase power they generally run larger loads easily and um, like I said they're more often in commercial and industrial uh, settings obviously three-phase power so you're getting three hots coming in and just a quick note about what three-phase power is it's just three uh, three phases that are in three alternating currents and they're separated by a third of the time of a full cycle we're not going to go too far into that the only thing that I think that's important here is that the three-phase motor that you have is more than likely going to be able to maintain a higher load than, say, if you got the equivalent single-phase motor. Uh, if, if it were me and you know I had a bandsaw that was free and for all intents and purposes it works, I'd probably just get a phase converter and just use it until it died and then decide if whether or not I want to replace that motor. Likelihood is not going to die anytime soon because generally speaking, three-phase motors, uh, because there are fewer electronics and fewer things that can go wrong with them, they tend to last a lot longer than single-phase motors like your 240-volt motor. Guy, I know you have experience with three-phase motors or at least you know running those machines with three-phase power at your, at your place of work. Do you, are you guys running any phase converters or is it straight up you know you guys have three phase power I, I mean I know I know three phase motors to the point of yeah there's a power switch I hit it and it comes on <laughs> yeah it's a three phase motor so with a with a three phase motor you've got you've got basically like we said you've got three hot legs versus two hot legs on a 240 and and one on a 120. It's my understanding, and if and somebody please correct me if I'm wrong here, whether it's one of you two guys or somebody out there in our in the listening world. But when you add a phase converter to your motor, you reduce the motor's power. It depends on what kind of phase converter. So if it's a digital static phase converter, you're going to limit the load to about two thirds of its rated capacity. Whereas a rotary phase converter, uh, I believe you're getting the well, full oh, oh, capacity. Oh, the, the, the rotary, that's another motor. That's a completely different thing. What he's talking about here, what, he's, what I'm believing he's talking about as a compelling mm -hmm. reason to purchase a phase converter, I'm thinking he's talking about a VFD or a variable, a variable frequency drive. What that does is it takes three phase, it takes 240 yep. 
and steps it to, to three phase to let the motor operate. And if you actually have a speed control on it. Yeah. Yeah. So with the, with the variable phase or a, a VFD variable frequency drive, mm-hmm. there is a reduction in, there power, is a correct. reduction in power. Correct. What he's talking about is a rotary phase converter. So you're talking about a $15,000 piece of equipment putting in your shop. Are they that much? See, oh, I don't even yeah. know. Oh, I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about, okay, so I want to add three-phase uh, rotary phase converter to my shop because I don't have three-phase service coming in, the, in there. So I'm going to buy a 10-horsepower motor. Mm-hmm. It's its own little mini electric plant. Right. And so um, other, other three phase, yeah. other three phase motors can, can work off of it. Yeah. So they're, they're, they, they start at probably around five or $6,000. They're expensive as all get out. Okay. So then yeah, uh, that might be out of the that. question. <laughs> you're not going to do that. And, and, and Derek, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you're talking about a, a variable frequency drive or a VFD. These are mm-hmm. things you can buy on eBay for a hundred bucks. Yeah. And yeah. what a lot of people do, cause they'll buy these, They'll go on Craigslist and they'll find this this drill press that's this you know twenty four inch drill press and it weighs fifteen hundred pounds and it's from a factory, and it's got this three horsepower three phase motor on. It. It's like I can't use it, but I only paid one hundred and fifty dollars for it. Okay, but I can't use it. So they put it in their shop and they put a, a, a buy a, a cheap VFD off of eBay for eighty ninety bucks, and now their drill press is working. Yeah, but you take a hit on the power right right on the torque well and i i guess the question comes is what is he using like what what is the capacity of the motor first off right so if it's five horsepower if it's two-thirds of that then i guess it'd be about three and a half horsepower somewhere around there would that i guess at that point he has to question whether or not that would be enough power of what he would need to power to hog through what he yeah and you're right it they're expensive by the way, I just looked them up. Uh, whether or not that, <laughs> yeah, there's just, just it's like anywhere from nine hundred dollars to twenty nine thousand dollars. Yeah, they're the price range. <laughs> so if that's enough, I mean, VFDs yeah, are pretty inexpensive. Got, people like Michael Fortune say you 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 don't need anything more than a three quarter horsepower motor to <laughs> to resaw twelve inches. I mm. really don't believe that myself, but that Michael Fortune, I'm not going to argue with him. Mm-hmm. He, says, so, oh, he didn't say how like, fast. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't say how fast. Yeah. So, uh, so Sean, what would you do? Would you stick with the three? Well, I guess, Guy, I don't know if you necessarily answered my, it. My, my take on it is don't replace the motor. Just leave it three phase and get a VFD for, you know, a hundred bucks. But you can get nicer VFDs that are, you know, 150, 200, 300, 400 dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, you are going to lose power. Mm-hmm. So be prepared for that. But for the most part, if it's a 20 inch bandsaw, it's probably got a three horsepower motor on it to begin with. So it might drop down to two horsepower, which is more than enough. Mm-hmm. So how about you, Sean? What would you do? Would you um, go, hmm. go that route or just replace it? I don't, I would probably go that route, whatever's easiest. And I think that would probably be easier. And again, it, I would never, uh, well, you got it for free. I was going to say I would never buy yeah. one because <laughs> I, I'm completely new to that. Like I've never had a three phase motor. Um, so I'm just going to agree with what, what guy said, cause that makes the most sense and seems the cheapest to me. 
Yeah. <laughs> Feels the John's sheet. <laughs> John's sheet. Especially when it comes to this. Yeah. But he did get the soft for free, so he's got a, a little money he, he can spend. I mean, he's, yeah. I don't know. I, I would probably stick with the motor just because, you know, it came with it. You got it for free. You might as well try it out. And for a minimal investment, it doesn't seem to just get it to work. And then I, th- I think you could always make the assessment. And if it doesn't work, you can always keep the VFD for something else later. I'm not using that many VFDs. <laughs> yeah. Or just sell the bandsaw. Well, like in your, on, your, on your CNC Wii. Yep, there's a VFD. There's a VFD because that's a three-phase motor, a three-phase mm-hmm. spindle hooked up yep. to 220 or yep. 240. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is. Yeah. Well, Derek, I hope that gives you a little bit of insight as to you know, what you think, uh, at least what we think you ought to do uh, if we're in your position. So. Guy, it's coming back to you. All right. So this, I took this question, I think, because it'd be a little bit of fun. Um, this is from Mark, Mark B. And it says, or he asks, so a bit of a non-woodworking question for you. I need some new music to listen to in the shop. What is on your playlist right now? For the record, I don't listen to music while I'm using anything with the blade or cutter. It's too distracting. Only when I'm standing and finishing. Just saying. Well, thank you for making that distinction, Mark, because none of us would ever listen to music while we actually worked on something. No, never. Um, All right. So (laughs) I'm going to go first. First of all, I don't listen to country music. I don't like country music. I don't want to have anything to do with country music. So there's no country music ever played in my shop. It reminds me of too much of wife number two. Oh, gosh. So there's no country music. <laughs> I don't like classical that much. Sometimes I do, but not while I'm in the shop. More than anything, I know it sounds weird, but I listen to a lot of heavy metal. You know, bands like Lamb of God, uh, Avenged Sevenfold, I like a lot. I like um, Phil Collins. <laughs> no, Phil, Phil Collins is the Antichrist. BGs. Um, actually, the BGs are good. Um, yeah, I like the BGs. I, 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 I listen, like I said, I listen to a lot of, heavy, a lot of quite classic heavy metal. I should Metallica, say. Megadeth. I don't, I'm not a big Metallica fan. Megadeth is awesome. I, so I, I, I can't rattle off bands because it really doesn't matter to me that much. Tool. Um, because it all sounds it all sounds the same. Tool is not heavy metal. Um, uh, I wasn't saying that. Where I'm just saying, do you listen to Tool? Yes, I would. When when I was growing up, here I go way way back in the '70s. There was a lot of what they considered there was heavy metal, there was hard rock, and then there was just like today, there's progressive stuff. So back then, progressive music was considered what was like yes, Pink Floyd. Genesis. That was progressive music. It was more laid back, more like acid rock kind of stuff. I still listen to that stuff today. And I still listen to a lot of stuff, you know, like a lot of Black Sabbath, a lot of Led Zeppelin, Mm -hmm. uh, bands like that. More than anything else, because it's it's not all I know. It's more of a, it just takes me, takes my mind back to a different time. Mm-hmm. So I like listening to it. It's like, yeah, I remember when I was when I heard the song. You kind of like, kind of thing. So I listen to a lot of that music. Um, a lot of the, of the new music I just don't get. That's just because I'm old and crotchety. 
<laughs> but to me, most it's, it's just mostly guys that sing. They're 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 not musicians anymore. There's very few bands anymore. Everything is a, a simple front man with a stage musicians behind him. That's what I see, anyways. They're entertainers. They're not necessarily musicians. I, I I don't like rap that much. I do like the fusion of rap and metal, like Rage Against the Machine. I'm a big, huge fan of. Uh, stuff like that, I like. I guess I, I, I guess I like listening to, to music with more of a harder edge to it. Mm. What, about, to what ma- about you? What about you, Sean? To match your personality, yeah. Um, I throw on Pandora, and I've had Pandora and paid for it for many, many years. So I, they have something called like Thumbprint Radio or something like that. It's a channel where they kind of play some of the stuff that you've liked over the years and try to match it with the some of that music. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably have my, I have the 3M Bluetooth. So I'm, I probably have my hands on the button to skip the song more than I listen to this music on there. So I probably need to find something new, but uh, yeah, rock, no country. Um, yeah, pretty much just, you know, prog rock metal. What do you, what do you, what do you consider progressive rock? Uh, what is the, the, um, I don't know the name of the bands I've been watching. Um, I can't think of the name of the bands. Um, I don't know the names of any of these bands anymore. I did in, in, until you asked me. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy that plays the, the thing. Yeah, there's uh, – <laughs> I don't know the name of the band off the top of my head. I'm about to find that now. You you got me. Polyphia, I think, is one of the bands. Oh, um, but I don't, I don't necessarily look at some of the newer bands as they're playing on Pandora – I just note the the sound of it, and then I will sometimes find their music video on YouTube. But and just pretty much kind of the same stuff that you liked. I do like a lot of the old bands like Sublime, Rage Against the Machine. I do like Tool. Um, I will listen to the random the random rap song that comes on that isn't too far out there, auto tuned and all that crap. Um, pretty much the the old stuff. Nothing, yeah, nothing too I, crazy. Getting back to the question, I don't know if I, I, I don't really have a playlist. It's like I get in a mood. It's like today I'm going to listen to old classic heavy metal, which would be, you know, like more of like a, like a Led Zeppelin kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I'll listen to something like that, but I'll listen to, I'll just put on that artist and through my server. And I've got, you know, a bazillion songs on my, my media server. And I'll just listen to it, you know, all day long. I'll listen to one band. So I don't know if I really, it's not like I have a playlist of this and playlists for that. It's just, I get, I get in a, I get in the mood for stuff. One thing I'm never in a mood for though is country. What about you? We, I bet you listen to country music. Uh, sometimes. Uh, all right, you're off the show. It's, <laughs> it's not something that I listen to. Uh, so I see it, a cowboy hat. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, every games. now and then, so, there's some country music that I enjoy, I um, but I can't really music. name anything off the top of my head right now. But um, I actually listen to a lot of jazz and a lot of swing music uh, because I used to, well, I still do, but there hasn't been any dancing since the start of this pandemic. But my wife and I do a lot of dancing, particularly swing dancing, Lindy Hop, Charleston, Balboa, blues. Uh, and some of my favorite artists are Fletcher Henderson, Artie Shaw, F- Fats Waller. 
these are some old timey you know, jazz musicians. Not a really huge fan of like a lot of big band type music, but yeah, I, I tend to like like the smaller group combo set type jazz bands. Um, lately, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Kind of Blue, Miles Davis. That was a sort of, uh, I guess, well, I don't know if you'd call it bebop jazz, but anyway, no, Kind of Blue. like fusion, almost fusion. Yeah, see, yeah. Um, yes, that's yeah. it. Sorry, fusion. I also um, say I listen to, I've listened to a lot of jazz <laughs> in my time. God. Yeah, but I, I do like quite a bit of jazz, quite a bit of swing music. But I also like bands like Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin. Um, I like classic R&B. Uh, like, for instance, I, I have a Stax Records collection. Really enjoy that type of stuff a lot. You know, very classic R&B. Not like, you know, current R&B, but what do you the older stuff. What R&B? Um, so Otis Redding. Um, why can't I think of anybody's name? He here? put you on the spot, I'm telling you. Benny King, <laughs> uh, like, you know, old-timey classic R&B. Um, Bobby Brown. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Cons- well, I mean, it's R and B. It's just modern R and B. Back mean- back in the day, you know, Led Zeppelin. You know what they called Led Zeppelin? What R and B? No way, really. Yep, yep. that's weird. It's considered R and B. I I guess I guess for what I consider or my understanding of R and B from you know now. Versus back then is is probably why I would be like, huh, really? Yeah, um, yeah. So you know, bands like Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Otis Redding, you know, Benny King. Uh, I, I mean, I even like oldies too, like Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, and oh gosh, I can't name any any of the oldies that I like. But yeah, it, it it's pretty vast. It's pretty pretty broad. <laughs> yeah, I'll listen to just about anything as long as it isn't country. There you go. Um, I did go through a phase for about a decade where I listened to a lot of jazz. Yeah. I also listened to a lot of blues. I I, I had the, the advantage of living in Cleveland where the Rock and Roll mm-hmm. Hall of Fame was. And even though I've never been there, <laughs> but there was a lot of, of bands that would come and you know, play these little bars and stuff that were just awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen Art Blakey a couple times. I've seen Miles Davis. I've seen, oh, why am I drawing? Uh, see, now I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> Those are the jazz people. I've, I've, I've seen um, Dizzy Gillespie. Oh, nice. Um, okay. But on the blue side, I've also seen a, a, a lot of people. Um I don't know. I've seen John Lee Hooker a number of times. Mm-hmm. It's weird, and that's that was the advantage of living in Cleveland. You'd go into, you know, John Lee Hooker be playing. You'd go in this bar, and there'd be a hundred people in there, and mm. some little, little bar. It was really strange. Um, but anyways, yeah, that's that's one of my big brushes. That's one of my two brushes with greatness was sitting down at a bar next to John Lee Hooker. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, my other one was running in William Shatner, but that's a story for another day. (laughs) All right. Okay. That was fun. I think it's uh, last question. That's right. For me. All right. Hey, guys, digging the podcast. Keep up the good work. I have a question and curious how you would approach fixing tear out on a tabletop. I've got an ambrosia maple top that I just glued up and notice that it has a half inch by half inch wide chunk. That's about a 16th to an eighth of an inch deep right in the middle of the top. 
How would you fix it? Also, can't flip it over uh, because there is another mark or divot that's worse on the bottom side. Would you use a decorative inlay or bow tie or try to hide it? Details, the top is 1.75 inches thick. I know it's a little heavy, but it's going to get a large chamfer on the underside. Overall, it'll be 40 inches wide by 7 feet long. I do not have access to a wide belt sander. Uh, thanks, Jesse. Um, man, this is difficult because you pretty much only have three, maybe four options. You can put a decorative inlay or bow tie. You can try to patch it with another piece of maple. You can find a cabinet shop near you that has that will allow you to access their wide belt sander to take it down. Um, if you try to patch it, you're going to notice it. It's going to be, it's just going to stick out because you're not going to, it's not going to be perfect. Um, you could do the decorative inlay or bow tie. Uh, if there's some other design that you could put there other than an inlay or a bow tie, you know, that's a pretty small area on a really large table. So putting some sort of, you know, decorative inlay or bow tie just in the center to hide it would probably it would probably work out okay. It could be it could be small enough. I know a lot of people don't like the bow tie look, especially if it's you know not doing what it's it doesn't really have to used. be a bow tie. It could be Sean shaped. That's right. It could be Sean shaped or the shape of guy's head. Um, uh, that should that should definitely be large enough to cover it. Shape of my ears. Yeah, I like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, or you could yeah you could come up with something completely different. But if it were me, I would. I would call every cabinet shop in 30 miles around you and, and find access to a wide belt sander. Otherwise you're going to notice it if you try to patch it or can you live with a decorative bow tie inlay shape of guy's head shape of me. Um, you know, you could, if there's something else you could do, you know, get someone to see and see a template for you, someone's name or family name or something. But if it were me, I would try to find access to a wide belt sander, you know, just extend that, that uh, Google Maps for uh, cabinet shops and see if they would let you drive it up there and, and charge and pay them for the five or 10 minutes, however many, 30 minutes, probably half an hour to run that through there. Because if it's only a 16th of an inch or an eighth, I mean, they'll be able to knock that out in no time with uh, their wide belt sander. I don't know. I, I'm just not, I've never used a bow tie or anything like that. I, I'm not necessarily a fan of it if it's just for, you know, just for looks, but if you need it to hold something together, I'm all for it. Right. So how would you, uh, guy, how would you handle this half inch by half inch wide chunk that's torn out right in the middle of the top? Well, fortunately it's a, it's a, it's a big ass table. Yeah. And did he say what species it is? Ambrosia maple. Ambrosia maple. Okay. Well, some part of my answer is going to depend on what kind of finish he puts on it. If he puts on like a matte finish, which is a very, very flat finish and the light hits it a certain way, you're going to see any repairs in it just from the reflection of the light. So but my, my immediate reaction to it is, is to scrape it out with the hand scraper and then feather it out with the sander. You have to feather out quite a bit for a sixteenth of an inch. Yeah. But you could do that unless you're putting like a matte finish on it because like I said, if the light hits it right, you'll see 
a dish there. A divot, yeah. A divot. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the divot's going to be at that point. I mean, you're feathering it out over, and since it's a big top, you yeah. can feather it out a couple feet. Yeah. So, but it's still going to be a dip no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the easy way to do it. You know, the, 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 a wide belt sander at a shop or at a lumber yard sounds like a great idea, but it's a 16th of an inch. You know how long it'd take you to take off a 16th of an inch? A long time. Three to four yeah. hours, Sean. Wow. Three to four hours? Three to four hours. You're taking off point typically on ours anyways, which is a 55 inch. Oh, okay. Yeah. 16th. Gotcha. uh, It's a 55 inch. Actually, it's a 53 inch butt frame. It takes off 0.3 millimeters a pass. (laughs) You can be there. Well, just pay them the three hour shop fee and be done. Yeah. I mean, you'll be there for a while. Well, they will. Just because it's so long. If it was two feet long. Yeah. Talking a seven foot long. Table. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's got to yeah. go through this thing. It's going to take a while to get that out of there. Yeah, I guess so, I keep forgetting how little they take off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A, 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 a wide belt sander is not a thicknesser, just like your drum sander is not a thicknesser. Now they make machines like the Time Saver that has a uh, not only a couple sanding belts, but it's also got a planer head in it too. Mm, Some that's of pretty them. cool. Yeah, they're also $100,000. Not yeah, every shop well, has them. Right. But if you find a shop that has one of those, yeah, it's going to be one pass and you're done. You know, why you said that, it, I was thinking you could build a router sled. True. And then zoop, zoop, you're done. That's a big router sled, man. It's seven feet long. Oh, they, yeah, but, yeah, but still. 40 inches wide. That's a, my, that's a my, that's a big router sled. My my solution would be depending on what the finish is. If you're not spraying a, a conversion varnish or a lacquer over the top, that's a matte, not satin, but a matte finish. I would try to just scrape it out and then feather it out with the sander. That would be my recommendation. You know, another option is to find somebody with a four by eight cnc and let them yeah. do it take a while too yeah but n- probably yeah. not as long as probably not as long as a wide belt sander but if you do it on something like a shape oko yeah <laughs> you do it on like you're something also, you also have the, the the pleasure of picking up this 150 pound table and carrying it all over god's green earth yeah that's hey right. that's just the name of the game yeah. i mean it's either that or throw it away and start over if you don't want to fare it out throw, I, like i said i would myself I would scrape it out with a hand scraper till it's flat, and then I'd feather out the divot. Yeah. Well, he he says a sixteenth to an eighth, so yeah, that's a big divot. That's yeah, a big divot. That's yeah. A big divot. Yeah. Oh, I, I would probably. Oh man, Ambrosia just veneer maple. it. I'm struggling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just put another veneer on. Ambrosia maple is just one of those woods. It's just almost impossible to match with a patch. I mean, it's just oh. I don't know how you would do it. Uh, I'm kind of, you know, I would, I think you guys already mentioned everything that could possibly be done. I can't think of anything additional that would help. I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Cause I don't, I don't think patching it, it's going to be, it's going to be so obvious. And then a bow tie, I don't think a bow tie would look right. 
I mean, it just wouldn't look depends right. On the, depends on the table. Yeah, on, no, yeah. absolutely. How much figures absolutely. in the ambrosia? I mean, you could make it blend a little bit. I mean, well, if, but if you're gonna if if you're gonna put a, a bow tie in there, don't try to make it match. That's the biggest problem. What right. you want to do is you want to celebrate it. Right. You want to right. make it obvious. Mm-hmm. So it looks like a design, <laughs> a design element thing. Going into it. Again. If you do that, put multiple. Don't just put one. Yeah. Put them in random positions. I mean, one beauty mark. Why not several beauty marks? Right. Yeah. Just make it the theme. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a big tabletop. Yeah. Oh, I bet that was. I would have been pretty upset if that were to happen to me. But but doesn't Ambrosia Maple have like a whole bunch of uh, beetle holes and whatnot in it anyway? Isn't that isn't yeah. that Ambrosia Maple right? Yeah. Yes. Hmm. So you may oh. be able to. Uh, yeah, it, that would make it even more difficult to blend in. Oh yeah. If you patch it. Yeah, but but like what Guy was saying, scraping it and then just feathering it over a couple of feet in either direction, it might it might help a little bit. Yeah, it might help it perhaps. Blend in. I'd try that and it would turn into a water dish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a, if it's a I didn't, I don't remember it saying an eighth of an inch. I, I heard a sixteenth of an inch. Sixteenth to an eighth is what yeah, he mentioned. That's, that's pretty deep, man. Yeah, that's, that'd be that'd be difficult to fare out. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see a big issue with patching it myself. Yeah, but it really depends on the look you're going for. Yeah, I mean, with it being ambrosia, it could be, you know, a pretty wild grain, anyways, and you won't notice it. Well, I, I guess my point, my point before was, don't try to match because if you try to match it and it's not going to match, then it's obvious that you screwed something up. But if you make it look like it was supposed to be there from the beginning, you're fine. Yeah, I mean, I understand. I, this is just my opinion, but I would do that if I was doing an inlay. I wouldn't, you know, have a contrasting would be fine. But if I was trying to patch it, just having a square, I would make it blend in or I would do an inlay or a bow tie. That's my opinion. Yeah, yeah that's fine. That, that's fine. Like I said, I'd probably do a bow tie too, but I'm not saying I would use a contrasting wood. I just wouldn't try to match the grain. Right, that's right. That's what I'm right. saying. I wouldn't try to make it disappear because it's not right. going to disappear. It's going to stick out like a sore thumb no matter what. Would you use an ambrosia maple? You wouldn't use it a, a I contrasting wood. Might. Depends. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't use a contrasting wood because I don't like contrasty stuff. I would use a complementary type of wood, but I really don't sure. know what complementary you'd have with ambrosia maple other than maple. Yeah. Yep. So. All right. Well, I hope that helps. Um, <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> well, I think we covered every every option possible. You know, mm-hmm. router sled. Take it to a CNC, have it, you know, surfaced, inlay, bow tie, patch it, and that's it. Or divot, yeah. or uh, fair it out. Mm-hmm. Or use a hand plane and do it that way too. Hand plane the whole thing. Yep. Oof. Take it down. It's a All lot right. of hand planing. So we are uh, going to talk about what we have going on in our shop, and I'm going to kick it over to Hui. What do you got going on in the shop? So I finally got my ducting in for my dust collector, but still no dust collector. Still waiting on that. I did get into the shop and worked a little bit on the beveled finger joints. Actually, I didn't work a little bit. I finished it on the base assembly for the round table, and those are well fitted. Uh, I've got to do one, a singular singular finger joint on the top, and then uh, just uh, do all the final shaping on the legs. Uh, That's what I have left to do, but... 
it's coming together slowly but surely, but I'm happy to be at least getting a little bit of time in the shop. How about you, Guy? What do you got going on? Uh, actually, I'm on vacation this week. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that basically means I'm doing woodworking at home instead of at the shop. Um, <laughs> I started by building my desk today. I didn't get very far in the morning because I'm fiddling around and getting used to filming stuff again. So it took me all morning to cut up the, the billets for the legs and actually square them. Then lunch came around. I ate a big lunch, and then I took a nap with my dog. Uh, and it got anything done this afternoon. Well, I hope to get it a lot done this week. If I can get the, the the frame of it built this week, I'll be I'll be happy. Yeah. So, what about you, Sean? What do you got going on? The cabinet is uh, done, except <gasps> I need to <gasps> I need to get the broken screws out. I ordered last oh. week, early last week, I think Monday. I ordered a a screw broken screw extractor bit it's like a hollow tube with yeah. teeth on so the you, end i didn't know you broke screws in it yeah i said it that? twice as a matter of fact <laughs> no, i don't remember I'm sorry. <laughs> oh i know but i'm waiting on that i bought it on amazon through uh i bought it f- through woodcraft on amazon and i paid shipping and apparently they they find the cheapest route possible on the planet which has led that to take uh, at least two weeks. If it's not here by the end of this week, which it's supposed to be here by the end of last week, they will refund my money or ship me another one. So well, just go to go to Woodcraft and get it. Yeah, I could, but the closest one is like thirty or forty minutes one way. So I thought, hey, I don't need it until the end of the week anyway. So I'll just order it on Amazon. Yeah, learn my lesson on that. So uh, other than that, I need to wait for that to get here. So so that I can install the hinges and get final shots and, um, and then try to figure out what I'm going to do next. So not much of anything. So I think that'll do it for this show. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have questions you would like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. We need your questions. So Please send those to us. We'd also like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. And we need more five-star reviews. So don't forget that as well. You can reach me at simplecove.com and at simplecove on Instagram and YouTube. Where can you be found, Hui? You can find me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my social media are on my website. And Sean, where can we... I'm kidding. Guy, where can we find you? <laughs> if I'm if I'm not taking a nap in the afternoon like all, all the other old farts out there, I can be found at guyswoodshop.com. Nice. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. See you in a couple of weeks. All right. See you guys. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye.